Thank you. Okay. Second Chronicles, chapter 1. Second Chronicles, chapter 1. Going to read a verse. And then we'll get into it. Now Solomon, the son of David, established himself securely over his kingdom. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. We just want to draw upon your kindness and grace. And Lord, we do pray for your word to come to us in a way that does us good, Lord. We don't want to just accumulate information. We do pray, Lord, for impact on our hearts in a way that brings, Lord, fruitfulness for your glory, please, Father. We just pray for that, Lord. Thank you for your promise. We didn't choose you. You chose us. You appointed us to go and bear fruit. We pray for fruitfulness, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That was a short reading, wasn't it? And uh, it's a particular phrase I wanted to just uh, underline, and we'll look at some other verses in a moment if you want to keep in that area. Um, Solomon, we're told, established himself securely over his kingdom. You read elsewhere that David fell asleep having fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. That's a terrific statement, isn't it? Uh, fell asleep having fulfilled the purpose of God in his generation. Find out what God's doing in our generation and throw ourselves wholeheartedly into it and uh, David did that. David did an amazing thing. And then Solomon, because although David was an amazing hero, uh, the story is not about David. It's about God's great purpose. So it moves on to the next generation, to the next person to pick up the baton. And here in Solomon, we get the next man uh, picking up the baton. And it says he established himself. Uh, that can sound like he's a kind of self-made man, that he has things working for him. But in reality, um, he, he didn't come from a good background, whatever. Uh, I guess David uh, and Solomon came from what you might argue is one of the worst backgrounds you could ever dream of. Uh, you could argue he shouldn't be on the planet. Uh, you remember that David and Bathsheba uh, had a terrible uh, relationship and produced a child that died. Uh, but we find also that David not only stole somebody else's wife, he also killed or had his her husband killed. And so, you know, Solomon, what on earth? Why Solomon? Why on earth this guy? Uh, why on earth from this uh, arrangement? David, as it happens, had other wives and there were other sons. Well, it's this incredible mystery of God's call and God's choice. And we need to take terrific strength from that because we find in 1 Chronicles 28.10, consider now for the Lord has chosen you uh, to build a house. We're going to look at that in a moment. The fact of being chosen by God should strengthen us in an incredible way. The wonder of it, the, just the wonder of God's hand upon us. And you see it again and again in the Bible. And uh, very often, it hardly makes any sense. Why did God choose him? Why did God call him? Why did God call her? What on earth was that all about? Uh, God uh, doing what he wants to do. But the amazing thing is to take advantage of and take full hold of the reality of God's call on our lives. And uh, that's certainly what Solomon did. He, he took advantage of the fact God had called him and lived to the full in the strength of that 
core. I love the fact it says about Abraham. You know, Abraham was uh, called by God, and, and yet he's insecure, and he's troubled. You remember the story how uh, he even gets his wife to lie and say, well, no, no, she's my sister, and gets into a real dangerous situation. I'm not sure many of you women would be terribly impressed with Abraham as a husband uh, when uh, he says, she's my sister, as a result of which uh, she's taken from Abraham, is into this household, and there's a lot of sickness in the household. And the guy comes to Abraham and says, hey, why did you lie to me about your wife? And he says, God, have mercy. I was in innocence. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And I love God's answer. He says, I'll have my servant, Abraham. He's a prophet. He'll pray for you. You mean the guy who lied about his wife? That guy's going to pray for me. Yeah, he's my chosen servant. Extraordinary privilege. God, the call of God is just an extraordinary privilege. And uh, God stands by Abraham's prayer. He's committed to this man. And uh, so we find here God's chosen, and, and we need to really be thrilled with the wonder if we know God's called us to be strengthened by that, to be fortified, really fortified as we come in prayer to God, as we serve God. Lord, you called me. I didn't choose you. You chose me. I often pray that, uh, make that my argument in prayer. Lord, I didn't choose you. You said you chose me, and you called me. And the verse goes on to say that whatsoever I ask in your name, you'll do it for me. Now, Lord, I'm coming on the basis of your initiative, and roll the burden, as it were, back onto God. Lord, it's your call. And here we find he uh, established himself um, and uh, took control. So, fascinating thing. When you read he established himself securely, if you look at the parallel story in First Kings, compared with the story in Chronicles, it says in First Kings chapter 2, verse 46, thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. But the story is much fuller in Kings. Here in Chronicles, it just simply says he established himself. In Kings, it tells you how he established himself. And the way he did it was to kill off a lot of other people. Uh, so it's an incredible thing. He was kind of ruthless in dealing with all rivals to the throne. That's in the record that you read about. You'll find that, for instance, Adonijah, a very handsome man, born after Absalom, he exalted himself to be king. And uh, he asked that he might be able to marry Abishag. You remember Abishag? That was David's kind of hot water bottle in his old age uh, when he couldn't, he got no heat, as it says in the King James. And so they did a beauty contest and they found the most beautiful girl in the nation uh, to keep him warm. And uh, uh, and, and, and then this guy says, I'd like to marry her. Well, he's not prestigious. This is David's lady. I could, you know, and he sees this guy's really angling for the throne. And uh, he deals with him ruthlessly. Joab, he destroys. He, 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 every rival to the throne he deals with. Now, establishing his kingdom, dealing, dealing with other things that wanted to claim the throne. And that's something we need to see in New Testament terms, that we are to be ruthless with everything else that wants to gain the throne of our lives. Paul uh, tells us uh, to put to death anything that's going to destroy our walk with God. Jesus said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. There's a kind of ruthlessness to establish that Jesus is the enthroned one in our lives, that he has the reins of the kingdom, 
that he's uh, in control. Paul says in Colossians 3, if you've, you have died and been raised with Christ, therefore put to death the members of your earthly body, immorality, impurity, passion, greed, which amounts to idolatry. We need to be ruthless with things that would spoil us. We need to recognize them and not play with them, not uh, have fantasies about other things. There's got to be a ruthlessness if we're going to see the purpose of God uh, fulfilled in our lives. Put to death other dreams. Throw off every hindrance, it says in Hebrews, the things that cling to us and would stop us fulfilling our calling. So there's this call here. Deal with it. Deal with it. Things like popularity, pleasing people, the joy of gossiping, all sorts of things that can spoil and ruin a walk with God. We need to be ruthless in putting these things to death. If I, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, I'll live. So there's got to be a death, a dealing the death blow to these things. Jesus taught it. Jesus expressed it in his own life, and we find that in the message it says this, Solomon took a firm grip on the reins of his kingdom. He took a firm grip. He's not going to be dragged here and there. He has established, he established himself. He established the kingdom. We need to be very clear that we don't have any other uh, alternatives. Uh, I was looking at with the guys the other day about uh, the four leprous men whom God used to deliver a city. And it really struck me that though they were very weak people, they had no other agenda. They were free from alternative agendas. They weren't saying, well, I would do that, but what about this? I would follow God, but what are the financial implications? I would, 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 what about our home? What about our income? Uh, what will people think of me? All kinds of things can stop me doing the will of God. And you find that this wonderful story, which we don't have time to think about at the moment, turns on four leprous guys who had nothing else to live for. And people who've got nothing else to live for are incredibly helpful to God. They don't have other agendas. And although they're just leprous guys outside the city, they had the key to the whole story. And God wants to know that we've got no other things. It's established thrones, established in the purpose of God. Then the second thing, you turn over the page, and in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, now Solomon decided to build a house for the name of the Lord. Solomon decided to build a house. If you're reading the ASV, it says he purposed to build a house. If you've got the old King James, it says he determined to build a house. The NIV says he gave orders. Now, that's kind of perplexing. You've got slightly different ways of writing that. Purpose, determined, decided, gave orders. What, what, what's the deal? Well, the deal is, if you look at it and uh, look at the commentaries and so on, what he said was, what it says, he said. That's what the Hebrew actually says. He said. In other words, the NIV uh, translators have said, well, he must have said it to somebody. He gave orders, they've translated it, because he said. He must have given orders. Well, the other translations are effectively saying, he said it within himself. He said. He made this decision. He was decisive. He made a good inward 
decision. He said to himself, I'm going to do this thing. And I would say that we live in a very uh, indecisive generation. People like to hang loose. And it's a great weakness in our getting anything done for God. We, we often say, well, you know, can we make an arrangement? Oh, well, I'll call you. Uh, rather than let's get it done, let's get it decided. This is the way it is these days. We'll, we'll, we'll sort it later. It comes right into things like marriage, where people are very scared to make a decisive step. And so the girl hears this wonderful invitation one day. You know, her wonderful guy says to her, would you like to uh, yes, yes, move in? And uh, instead of, will you be my wife? But that, and that kind of statement, which is, you know, turning my back on all others, I give myself unreservedly to you, forsaking all others. There's a decisiveness that gets the thing done. And here, Solomon decided. He made a choice. And we do need to be in that vein, learning to make decisions, learning to cut out the other alternatives and to deal with uh, the other issues. Okay, so we are we're saying, well, that's the way it's going to be. He made a call. He made a decision. And I, I think that it's so thrilling to see a, bar, a boy, a girl, press through and press through and press through. And I, I think in England we kind of celebrate uh, Andy Murray winning at Wimbledon or winning uh, the Olympic game as he was uh, a tennis player. I guess there were many, many days when people said, are you going to come to the party? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? Will you come? And I'm sure many, many times he would have made decisions. And I think they would have been based on this. I think one day I could be the best tennis player in the world. Or when you go to the Olympics and someone stands there and they play your national anthem, and in your heart, over a period of time, you think, I think I could run 100 yards quicker than anybody in the world. And it makes you make decisions. The Lord has called you to build a house. It makes you make decisions. It makes you decisive. It makes you settle things. Sometimes people come to you at the end of a meeting and say, yeah, will you pray for me? And, and you say, yeah, what would you like me to pray? And they'll say, would you pray a blessing? And uh, I, I often say, well, Lord God, help them to make good choices. Help them to make good decisions. Because so much of the Christian life is about making good decisions, getting clear, saying, right, I'm going for that. I'm going to be decisive about that. I'm going to follow this through. And we're called to walk worthy of this calling. Solomon knew, I've been called to build this house. I'm going to do this. And it says he decided. He was decisive about it. I sometimes find that when we become indecisive about other things, we can be, become sometimes very woolly about what we, what we believe. We, we kind of take on that frame of mind, that even theologically shifting ground and not being decisive. Saying, no, this is what I believe. This is what I feel the Scripture is actually saying. So that we are clear-cut. So that we, in view of God's mercies, uh, offer our bodies living sacrifices. We may prove what is good and acceptable, the pleasing, the will of God. So let's learn not to be indecisive. Let's make sure that we live in the light of this, that we might say, no, I'm armed with purpose, as it says in Peter. Lots of temptations won't even get near you if you're armed with purpose. Sometimes people, because without lack, with lack of purpose, 
get called in all kinds of directions. But if you're armed with purpose, if you made a decision. So here, he settled things for himself. He said, I'm going to build this thing for God. And then thirdly, if you turn over the page again, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1, then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had appeared, had prepared on the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite. He began to build on the second day of the second month of the fourth year of his reign. Now these are the foundations which Solomon laid for the building of the house of God. The length in cubits, according to the old standard, was 60 cubits. The width, 20 cubits. Okay, so we move on to the third thing here. He, he began to build. He began to build. One thing to have a dream is another thing to begin to build. And when we move on from being dreamers, I think dreamers are wonderful. I thank God for dreamers. If we don't have a dream, if we don't have something we've had in our hearts to accomplish, then we're very rarely going to press through. So, yeah, he had a dream, if you like, but the dream he began to build. He began to make it happen. As you notice, the directly he starts to build, you get boring things come in like dates. It happened on this date, and you also get boring things like cubits, because now we're building, and now the detail starts kicking in. Now you have to make sure you're there on time, and you have to make sure you're in the right place. And that sometimes is what sorts people out, that they can say, I have this dream, I have this dream. You say, oh, great. Well, we've got this training program. Uh, training program? Uh, yeah, you have to come for 10 weeks. It's at 8 o'clock every Wednesday night. But, and you say, oh, I don't know if I can do that. But you have a dream. Yeah, but you have to start building then. Well, that's about dates. Yeah, but I think I've got this wonderful dream. I'm a bit of a dreamer. Well, you know, it's when you sort out, do we turn up? That's where you find out, is he a dreamer or is he a builder? Uh, and we find that that's where it has to be translated. And vulnerability starts to strike when we start talking the details. And sometimes we find the difference between a dreamer and a builder in terms of whether they turn up. And again, with Nehemiah, I love the story of Nehemiah, how he's arrested by an item of news. He's away. Uh, he's in Babylon. He's serving the, the king. And then he hears news of the state of Jerusalem. And he's absolutely smitten by this dream he's, or this news. And so much so, I love the story of Nehemiah where he's just heartbroken when he hears that Zion's walls are down and anyone can walk through the gates that are burned. There's no, it looks no different to any other place. Anyone can walk in and out. There's no distinctive about it. And he knows that Zion should be the joy of the whole earth. He knows this is the city of God. And, and he said, we must see this rebuilt. And, and he's passionate about it. And it's interesting. It says that uh, those that mourn will be fortified. They'll be comforted. They'll be strengthened. And Nehemiah, the chapter 1, kind of closes with the curtain falling. If you're in the theater, the curtain falls on Nehemiah, mourning, heartbroken. When the curtain goes back up again, he's like a different man. He's absolutely fortified. 
Blessed are they that mourn. They shall be fortified, strengthened, empowered. And uh, he comes out empowered. He comes out transformed. Nehemiah, from that time on, looks like a kind of raging bull. You can't stop him. Things bounce off him. But when he starts to build, he starts to hit the problems. And, And it says at one point, he arrived at the city, and he said, he, he went around the city on his uh, horse and uh, looked at it all, looked at the ruins, and he said, I had not yet told anybody what was in my heart. It was in his heart to build this city. He got something in his heart, a passionate dream. But when he began to build, then he gets to trouble. And it says that he began to build, and then and quite literally this comes in the passage, Sam, Bala, and Tobiah were very unhappy because he was going to build something. And it's the difference between having a dream and starting to build. You start finding, now here's the opposition starting now. Here are the problems kicking in. And you find that here's all kinds of setbacks, opposition, hostility, there's subtle deceptions, disloyalty, all kinds of things hit him when he's trying to start building. When he moves from dreaming to building, then the problems hit. And it's battling through and building when you hit those problems. Starting to build. Building something that's going to start for God. And we need to see God's help in that. We need to work through on that. We need to build things in our lives. We need to build a prayer life. You might say, it's difficult. Yeah, it is difficult. We need to build it. We need to say, well, am I further now than I was last year? Have I made progress? Am I building my understanding of doctrine? Am I learning? Am I growing? Am I progressing? Am I learning some things? I know when I first left secular work, I was a real dreamer. I wanted to serve God. And I suddenly realized that I, I don't really know what I believe. So I, I bought myself a, a, a Louis Burkhoff systematic theology. And all its tiny print. And uh, I thought, I've got to learn about, you know, learn about Jesus, the prophet, the priest, the king. I started to learn about the Trinity and read, writing pages and pages of notes. And that, that was in that rather hard work theology book, what, what Peter Lewis calls Deep Frozen Burkhoff. And uh, just worked through that to try and get what I knew. And then now, of course, you've got Wayne Gruden, big print, questions at the end, very accessible. <laughs> you know, are, we, are we building? Are we building a, a, a what we believe? Do we feel I'm, I'm getting to know what I believe? I'm, the thing's going up. I feel more and more secure in what I know I believe. Am I learning to pray? I feel I learn what I can trust God for. There is a growing process. There's a building process. And then when we begin to build a corporate people, yeah, we do find very often the challenges hit us and the problems are there. He began to build. He began to build. I remember I was preaching once at a big conference in the USA. And when I finished, uh, C.J. Mahaney was hosting the conference. And uh, uh, there was kind of warmth and applause at the end. And, uh, and then CJ walked to the platform. He said, how many of you have been blessed here this evening? And people went, yeah, you know, we've been blessed here. And he said, no, you are all deceived. And I thought, wow, what have I said? I was, what? <laughs> we are all deceived. I thought, man, alive, what did I say? And then he said, listen, he said, do you think you've been blessed? The scripture says this, if you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. And he said, you haven't done anything yet. You've just listened. So, oh, thank God. I didn't. (laughs) But the reality is it's the building that 
brings the challenge. It's getting to do the thing, beginning to follow through, beginning to set yourself targets, beginning to try to beat those targets. Those, that's where the challenges come when we are uh, hitting those. Ed Cole says this, people think maturity comes with age. No, growing old comes with age. <laughs> maturity comes with taking responsibility. Uh, and I've seen some very mature 20-year-olds and I've seen some silly old people. So maturity doesn't come with age. Getting old comes with age. Maturity comes taking responsibility. And that's something we can all learn to apply ourselves to, filling in that application form, turning up to that training program. I'd love to serve God in such and such a nation. Well, you'll need to learn a language. Oh, learn a language? I thought, yeah, you have to set yourself a target. You have to build something. You have to follow through, learn about the culture. I remember Wendy and I were at Bible College. That's where we met. And uh, some years back, I recall being invited to speak at a conference. And uh, I was at that conference. And then uh, during the lunch break or something, we were all lining up. Uh, it was a big open air kind of thing. And uh, I saw this couple. And I thought, well, I know you. Yeah, and it was the guy who used to be the leading student at the Bible college we attended. And uh, uh, he, he was uh, a, a quite a quiet guy, really, but I remember his, his name was Ralph. And uh, I remember going to his room once. I had to see him, a uh, leading student. I had to go and visit him. And I went into his room. The, 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 all around the room, little sticky yellow papers, and I saw weird hieroglyphics. And there's a little phrase, and then there's this. I said, what is that? He said, he said oh, it's all over on the mirror and so on. He said, oh, that's Japanese. He said, I'm just trying to learn Japanese. And all around the room, these little yellow stickers with Japanese things. I, well, okay, yeah. And, uh, and then we saw him. I mean, like 40 years later, we hadn't seen him for all that time. And uh, I said to Wendy, that's Ralph and Ailsa. I mean, they, they, there they are. I mean, they're 40 years longer in the face, but there they are. And, uh, and so we went over. I said, I said, Ralph, remember, we were at college together. I, he said, yeah. I said, what have you been doing? He said, oh, we've just come back from Japan. We've been serving God there for 40 years. I thought, yeah, it started with yellow bits of paper stuck on the wall. Uh, I thought, wow, what a testimony. He, he did something. He, he began to build. He began to build. And sometimes that's where people, they just slip up, we don't begin to build. You know, when I was at Bible college and when we came away, after a while, every year they sent you a list of your contemporaries. And every year it was so sad. You saw this list get shorter and shorter and shorter. It was very sad. People who began, but somehow... It didn't really continue. Jesus said, you should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And people say, well, I've tried. But it says, if you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's following through. It's learning to do these things. And then over the page, one more, chapter 5. I'm going to jump a few chapters this time. It takes longer when you start building. Chapter 5, verse 1. Thus, all the work that Solomon performed for the house of the Lord was finished. Right, he set his heart. He began to build. He finished. He finished building. He completed 
the task. So many things we start, you know, maybe stuff in your garage or in your loft, you know, things we start. But here he, he finished, he completed, he completed the task. It's so easy to give up and abandon your dream. Many things can stop you finishing. We talked earlier about conscience and the tragedy of when you see people fall who have messed up morally maybe and they've kicked over things and uh, it's so sad when that happens. I remember a guy who was a leader of a movement in the UK and had a, had a battle with cancer and I used to gather with these leaders of movements and uh, one heard about this terrible battle he'd had with cancer and uh, I wondered if he'd turn up this time. And uh, we were there in the meeting, and sure enough, in he came. His head, hair just beginning to grow again. And uh, I thought, wow, you've come through it. You've done well. And I asked him, how did, how did you come through? What was it like? Tell me about it. And he said, I, I, I know all the books. I know about healing and so on. He said, I said to God, I, I just want to find you in John's Gospel. Just speak to me a verse in John's Gospel. And, and he found a verse, I can't remember what it was, but he really felt God spoke to him, and he clung to that verse, he laid hold of God, and, and God wonderfully healed him and brought him through. And I thought, wow, that guy's, you know, it's like he's had his experience of testing and trying, he's going to do fine now. And then, amazingly, within six months, he left his wife and gone off with another woman, and he left her and went off with another. You think, wow, my word. And I thought... What he went through, I thought, you know, he's through the test. He's going he's gonna to do well now. But no, no, you've got to be keep building until you've completed. He finished the task. He finished the task. Paul says about Demas. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this passing age. One of Paul's co-workers got distracted, got fascinated with things that had no lasting worth. I can't understand how someone that close to the Apostle Paul could suddenly do that. But he didn't, he didn't finish. He didn't come through. Timothy, keep, keep faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. Sometimes it's disappointment, things that have not turned out the way you thought they would. I'm amazed that you see Elijah. It says Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed, and the heavens closed, and he prayed again, and the rains came. And you think, my, wow, he prayed fire down from heaven. And James says, no, he's a man just like us. And then you look at the next chapter, and, uh, you know, he's just heard from Ahab and from Jezebel, you, you're going to die. And he, he just runs out. He's got nothing left. And, and he, he runs in despondency. He's got nothing more to give, it would seem. Uh, and he has to find God and run to God. He, run, he stops running into the wilderness, he runs to Horeb. He runs to where God is, where God has spoken, where God's revealed himself, so he can be renewed and refreshed. And, and sometimes people don't, they just run. And they just, this is about Judas, when he went out from that upper room, and it says, and it was dark. And it's about Elijah, and he went and it was into the wilderness. And some of that language, I think, has... Real meaning in it. There's something there that's speaking to us. But thank God Elijah stopped running into the wilderness and ran to Horeb. He ran to where God had spoken. He knew enough where to run to. 
And so we need to sometimes, it's not other people always who hinder us. It is our own sense of failure, our own sense of limitation. I'm no better than my father's. And amazingly, this man prays, if you like, the suicide prayer. Take my life from me. It's an extraordinary thing that the man of God can pray. Just He gets that low that quick. But he meets God and gets restored and refreshed and has a fresh commissioning from God. And we just need to know, look, God can pick us up again. God can lift us when we've uh, had our heart broken, it would appear. He can re- restore and uh, get us back into his purpose. Out of despair and depression, he can do it. So God wants us to finish what he's called us to do and see it through. And he had, Solomon has that testimony. He finished the work. Let me just uh, draw your attention to another one who's a great finisher. And of course, it's the Lord Jesus himself. And you see in the Lord Jesus that uh, right from the beginning, he is ruthless in putting first the kingdom of God. Right from the beginning, he deals with the issue. Right from the beginning, why are you being baptized? No, we're going to fulfill all righteousness. If you're the son of God, no, no, God has spoken. It is written. Jesus is so focused. He's so clear. He's so deliberately doing the will of his father. And then, and then he hits all kinds of challenges. And uh, funny, my son Joel, uh, some of you met Joel. He, he, he was talking to me the other day because we were, we were looking at the, uh, the movie Robin Hood and, uh, with Kevin Costner. And that's the only Robin Hood film worth watching, actually. It's, uh, it's hilarious. It's brilliant. And it's a family favorite. And uh, he said to me, you realize, don't you? He said, the story of Robin Hood, it's all about the church. So I said, John, what are you talking about? And he said, no, no, it's, he said, it's the story of the church. And he said, you know, it's Robin Hood and his merry men. There's the clue, some merry men, and that's the church. And he said, uh, what happens in the story in the film is that uh, there's a, another man, one of the apparent outlaws, who really hates the Robin Hood figure and is against him because he's come from elsewhere, and he has a very rich father. And uh, he starts stirring, stirring up the, uh, the young uh, outlaws that they can fight. And they begin to fight, and then they get a huge backlash. And there's fire, and the whole uh, wood seems to be burned down, like their hopes have been destroyed. And then this guy turns upon uh, Robin Hood and says, okay, rich boy, it's like, you don't really belong here. You're not one of us. You've come from outside. Okay, rich boy, are you going to finish what you started? And, and I thought, yeah, I can just, it's like, because Joel said, yeah, it's, all about, it's all about the church. You know, it's about it's got a rich guy who comes into their world and, and, and rescues them. And at the end, there's a wedding, and the king comes back, and you think, oh, it's all about the church. And uh, anyway, okay, rich boy, are you going to see this through? And I feel that, that word to Jesus. You know, if you're the son of God, come down. Okay, rich boy, you're going to see this through. You come from, this isn't your problem. You're going to follow it through. But Jesus, above all, was able to say, it is finished. I've done it. I've completed it. And finishing it was a huge thing for Jesus. So you'll find at one point, even as early as John 4, uh, the disciples have gone to buy food, and they come back, uh, and they say to Jesus, what are you doing? He's talking to the woman at the well. Have you had anything to eat? 
He said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, to finish his work. It means to accomplish it. It means I've, I've finished it. I'm going to finish it. This is the work he's called me to do, is to finish it. And then in John 17, you get that wonderful prayer. He says, Lord, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you gave me to do. I've done it. I've completed it. I've finished it. And then, of course, on the cross itself, that, that's his word from the cross. I've finished it. I've accomplished it. I've done the thing you gave me to do. And that's something, surely, we long, we long for that testimony that Jesus had, that he could say, I've completed it. And then he sat down at the right hand of the Father, having done the thing. He did the thing. He finished it. And God's called us, beloved. If we know that we're called into ministry, and he chooses the weak things, he chooses the foolish things, it's his choice. He amazes us with his choice. But when you've got that persuasion, now God's called me, then let's be ruthless with every other distraction, everything that would spoil, because what a massive privilege to know that God's called us. What a wonder to know God's got his hand upon me. Somehow he snatched me. Maybe you feel your background was terrific or terrible, like uh, Solomon's background was horrendous. Wow, God's called me. Take, consider God's called you to build a house. He's chosen you, so let's be ruthless with everything else that would spoil. Let's be decisive in committing ourselves to what God's given us to do. Then let's move on from having the dream to building, to taking steps, getting willing to commit ourselves to programs, to, to qubits and dates, turning up, being there, being reliable, building what God wants for us, and then ultimately to completing, finishing it. It's so sad when one hears these days of people, oh, he's gone. A guy that had such a ministry, wrote so many super books, and so I think, wow, whatever happened? No, he didn't finish. God wants us to complete. God wants us to finish. God wants us to do the thing that he's committed us to do. And we have in Jesus one who's given us not only an example, but he is in us. He will not be discouraged. I have on board, in my heart, one whose testimony is this, he will not be discouraged. Isn't that great? He is with us. He will not be discouraged. He can revive, restore, keep us moving in his purposes. So God wants us to emulate and fulfill the calling that's on our lives for his great glory. Amen. Let's just pray, and then we'll have any comments or questions. Father, thank you so much for your purpose. Thank you. You know us through and through. Thank you, Lord. Nothing's hidden from you. Lord, I do pray that you will give us that clarity, that ruthlessness, that singleness of purpose that helps us to keep focused. Help us to keep building. Help us, Lord, not to be put off by all the hostility that we see Nehemiah had, Lord, the, the subtle underminings, the challenging. Even if a fox ran up, it would all run down. Lord Jesus, we, we do pray that you'll keep us courageous in days of setback. Help us to believe, Lord, in the day of small things. Help us to be full of strength that you provide. And Father, we do pray that we will see finished the thing you've given us to do, 
that really brings you immense glory. To be like your son, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you gave me to do. Oh, Father, to have that uh, testimony would be our longing and our desire. We pray for your spirit to help us in these things, Lord. And Father, we just pray, would you continue with us? Would you, Lord Jesus, enrich us through our fellowship together? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.